This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. See, what happens with relativism is culture supersedes and changes truth. True Foundations is a ministry that seeks to explain and apply biblical teaching to real life in today's ever-changing world. With a view towards building a stronger church, the teachings are focused on making Scripture work for people by encouraging them to allow the words of Jesus to change them from within. In Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, whatever that is. But whatever it is, we shouldn't be doing it. And anything similar about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's about walking by the Spirit. Now here's the problem. Is that some folks, they think that they are walking by the Spirit, and they are not. They believe themselves to be walking by the Spirit because they can tick a few boxes in terms of the stuff that they do in life. Oh, I'm walking by the Spirit. It is a a position where people are deceived about themselves. They are arrogant. It is not true. Uh, And anybody with eyes to see uh, can see that clearly. So there is that. The trouble is, when people think like that, it's hard to persuade them otherwise. But nevertheless, this is what we need to know. Is that firstly, walking by the Spirit is not a given. Of course, if Christ is not within us, we are not true believers. We know that the true believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit. And sometimes because of that, there is a confusion that is in people's minds. Well, I have the Spirit, I'm born again, therefore, I'm walking by the Spirit. It is not a given. It is a position that, first of all, is chosen. And secondly, it is attained by dying to the old nature, giving certain things up. And some of the things are in this list. And I'm not going to go right through the list. You know, it's most of this stuff people get, they understand it, but I'll mention a couple of things. So walking by the Spirit is not a given. If it was, Paul would not need to say any of these things because it's just a, well, that's the way it is, but it isn't the way it is. When we live by the flesh, it quenches, puts limitation upon 
the work of God's Spirit within us. Now that seems a remarkable thing if you think about it because the Spirit of God, who is he? He's none other than God Almighty. He has all power. And you would think, well, he comes to indwell us, therefore I have all this power within me somehow. It's not like that. Because God, for the sake of freedom, which is such a high goal, self-limits in order that when we choose him fully and freely, then the spirit who's within us begins to free us up and begins to empower us. And we walk in that way. And it is important that we understand that because it is all about freedom. We must be people of freedom and live fully in that way. We must never be people of the flesh. Always at surrendering our will to the will of God in every aspect of our lives. You see, this is always the way forward. If that is not taking place, even though perhaps for a few it is, if it is not taking place generally, that actually puts a restriction on the life and power of the church. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you look at the model of the Old Testament, Israel, how there were people who were godly and they did what was right, but many didn't. And because the many were not doing that, it restricted what God would do with the people. And even the people who were living right suffered because those who weren't had the dominant part in Israel. It's like that in the church. There's no way around it. And the call is that God's people surrender themselves to him and him alone and put away other things that stand in the way. If we would do that, I think we would see untold blessing that we would lack nothing in the kingdom of God. But most people don't really live like that. It's the reason why, why Paul gives his list. To help people identify areas in their lives that have them under bondage and stop them being free. He has the list because... Uh, it seems that people don't really know unless they see it in black and white or they hear somebody say it. They seem to be able to dodge it somehow. I don't know why, but they do. So he puts the list down. But he does say it's obvious. You see, there are things that if we have our minds open, to the guidance of God's Spirit, they will be absolutely obvious to us. 
on you for some, clearly they are not. Now at the beginning of the list, it's all about sexual immorality. We get that, we know what that is, we understand it. I don't need to go into all the details of it. But here's something that is very, very distressing in the day that we're in. Is that society has taken those things that were always known as being immoral and wrong and said they are perfectly normal and acceptable. That's what it's done. But that's society. Expect it. It's not what we want. It's not comfortable. But expect it. That society at large, the world that knows not Christ. But the big problem today is, and I'm not suggesting it's here, but we need to be aware, is that much of the church and a growing sector of the church is taking the very same things that society has always said was wrong and then suddenly it's perfectly acceptable, is taking those things and also making them acceptable. Is it any wonder when you think about the church at large uh, that Christianity numerically is in decline? Is it any wonder? When the church at large is taking that kind of stance, is it any wonder that even churches who seek to be honorable and faithful are adversely affected by that? Is it any wonder? It is not at all. These are sad, sad times that we live in. And Christ calls his church to be pure. But I want to say something about something that I think is underlining all of this. You see, you can look at that and say, oh, this is so bad, this is so terrible, and it is. And your focus can be on that, when actually there is something underneath it that underlies it, that reflects itself in all kinds of sinful behavior. And the list is here. And you know what it is? It is at the very center of it. In my version, it says selfish ambitions. There's lots of different terms that are used in different versions, but it says it well. You see, this, this move towards the flesh in the church at large, and then the focus on sexual immorality, because everybody knows what that is. Uh, and in its own sense, I have known people, and they're Christian people, they seem to be attracted towards it. They are fascinated by it. It's very strange. But underlying all of these things, whether it's some kind of unresolved anger or jealousy, underlying all of these things is what is described as selfish ambition. Another way of saying it is self-determination. It's just another way of expressing the same kind of idea. Underlying all of this, that is the main problem. It is the main problem in the church at large, and it is a problem 
here. And I don't want to go down a list and tick this person off and tick. I'm not talking about that, but it's there. Because if it wasn't there, I don't think that we will be having the problems that we have. Why? Because all of God's people will be so dedicated uh, to the mind of Christ, uh, learning how to walk in the spirit, uh, that there would be proper growth in the body, which would be honoring to God, and all of our needs would be met. That's the Old Testament model under the Old Covenant. The covenant that we have is greater, bigger, more extensive. And underlying it, it is expressed because it's like society. It's like the world at large, uh, that the mindset of the world at large that is infiltrated uh, right across in the body of Christ, this self-centeredness that is so pervasive and it's about people doing their own thing. That's what it is. It wasn't like that in the early church. They focused themselves. They were dedicated. What to? The apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer, and what it was called loosely the fellowship, which is a weak word. It, it is that commitment to be one together in partnership for the sake of the gospel. Now the person that does their own thing, they're not really committed to that at all. They are looking for what they can get, whatever it is, rather than submitting themselves uh, to the whole nature of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. That is the biggest single problem, I believe, uh, in the church at lies today, and it affects us. People who do their own thing. See, that is the priority. And unless we deal with that, then it will continue to restrict the freedom of the whole. Uh, it will continue to restrict the growth of the body. And it will continue to restrict uh, the power of God's spirit amongst his people uh, being shed abroad in a remarkable way. See, that's the issue. I think it's always been the issue. There's nothing new about this. It's something that began to arise uh, even in the early church. But it doesn't have to be like that, does it? Uh, and w when it says here selfish ambition, there's nothing against ambition. I I'm always pleased to see people with ambition who go out and accomplish great things. Maybe they get a good reputation for it. Maybe they get rich from it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. 
That's far better than being passive and doing nothing. It's a good thing. But you see, what God is asking for is not selfish ambition, which is self-determination, which is you above everybody else, and which is you sometimes against other people. It's you. But you see, godly ambition, that's a different matter. And because that encourages the body, it helps the body grow. It feeds into the body to eliminate whatever the needs are. And in that place, the grace of God is shed abroad throughout the body and remarkable things are accomplished. But you see, for the person who lives by the Spirit, that these things are instinctively known. And it is not an effort to live it out. It is done because it is intuitive. It is done because there is submission to the mind of Christ. And that is the healthiest way to live. But a person who lives by the flesh, whether they can tick a lock at the religious boxes or not, the person that lives by the flesh, they are self-centered. And everything revolves around what either their needs or their wants are. There is no room for that in the body of Christ. And in fact, Paul makes this rather strong statement. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you can take that two ways. You can say, well, if Christians live like that, they will not see the fullness of the kingdom of God and its lifestyle and its impact in the day that you are. And I'm sure that's absolutely true. But there is also this hint of a warning of saying, maybe you're not going to see the kingdom that will come. And the question mark of this is because this is all about the lifestyle of this world. It is fleshly. That in the end, is a person like that really in Christ? See, that's the big question. I cannot answer that for anyone. Is a person who lives like this, I'm not just saying, oh, they're sexually immoral, or they're promiscuous. What about selfish ambition? Which underlies the whole thing. If a person is dominated by selfish ambition, self-centeredness. It's about them. Sometimes people like that do stuff for other people as well. But it's about them. If they live like that, are they really in Christ? That's how strong this is put. And we must be able to answer it. Uh, because there is a day coming when 
we will have to answer before the Lord on every question of the way that we have lived our life before him. And so we must live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, our lives will be full of the goodness of God, even when things are difficult. Even when things are, maybe seem to be falling apart. Even when uh, we suffer grief that perhaps doesn't even seem fair. But we can still know the joy and the peace of Christ. And I think what Paul is trying to do here is call these people back to that place that, really speaking, is what salvation is all about. And even though the words that he says for some might find hard. I don't think these are hard words. I think these are words that should press us because God wants us to be free. And these are words that should press us because God has good things in mind for us. But we dare not presume we must be prepared to be the kind of people who will lay all self-centeredness down and learn what it is to be one in Christ. And as Christ is at the center of everything that we do, then his presence will be unrestricted and just even begin to think about what that can accomplish wonderful and great things I, I long to see people come in who from every strata of society but they come with their stuff which the world has no answer for but they can come and be set free and they can be set free in a moment and then they learn to live you see that's a Christian life there is nothing in this life that is beyond the scope of the cross of Jesus Christ we must encourage each other with these things and we must be willing to go in humility and accept the work of Christ in our lives. And if you need to be set free, you better come and ask for it. But we're not quite there yet. And I am sad that we are not. But we are not. And actually some of you are standing in the way. Not many. Some of you standing in the way of it but let us come and seek God and let us be willing to put away those things that are in the way of the move of God amongst us
and let's seek him in such a way that we believe that anything is possible that we do not have to visit this place ever again and let us become a people who know the fullness of the gospel in our lives in such a way that the word will get out and people will be drawn to him and his remarkable salvation. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.